Three separate stories this week involving the importance of genetics in studying autism, but all three show there are factors that influence symptoms outside of just genetics. So it's important, but it's not the be-all, end-all of understanding autism. On Monday, the highly anticipated project by Autism Speaks was published in Nature Neuroscience. This was part of the MSSNG, or Missing Project. The publication revealed the results of whole genome sequencing in 5,000 individuals with autism and showed 18 new genes that hadn't been identified before associated with ASD. Previously, only smaller sections of the genome were examined. This one looked at the whole thing. Whole genome sequencing, then, is probably going to identify more genes associated with autism compared to earlier study that just looked at different parts. So it wasn't necessarily surprising that 18 new genes were found. But guess what? If you want to say something, you need to show it with data. And that's exactly what they did. A particular interest is that of the 60 or so genes in total that were identified, including the 18 new ones, most are candidates of pharmacological interventions. These findings open the door to new drug treatments. It also replicated findings from the same group a couple years ago that showed that two individuals with ASD in the same family sometimes had similar but not the exact same gene profiles and have the same symptoms. Theoretically, this could mean that some people may have resiliency factors. The Autism Sister study wants to take this a step further and identify families who have similar genetic mutations but discordant diagnoses, meaning one person has autism and the other one doesn't. The issue of resiliency isn't something that I'm making up. Steve Scher, the senior author, came up with this idea in a press release that you can find at asfpodcast.org. The authors also noted that those with a specific type of genetic mutation called copy number variants in autism risk genes also had lower adaptive behaviors. The authors concluded that detection of copy number variants in certain genes, and not just one autism gene, but multiple autism genes at a time, may give some insight on the sort of behavioral profile that a person with autism may have. There was also a trend in the study that people with more copy number variations also had lower IQ and lower cognitive ability. It wasn't significant, but it was a trend. However, the story isn't so simple as more mutations mean worse behavior, and I'll explain. This week, Summer Bishop and her group at University of California, San Francisco, looked at the Simon Simplex collection and found the same thing as the missing paper, that there were more de novo mutations, including copy number variations, in those with autism. And those people with those mutations had also had more severe autism symptoms. This was measured by lower IQ and adaptive behavior. Okay, this is similar. But the comparison is those with CNVs and autism versus those without CNVs and autism. What if the analysis was done in such a way that those with CNVs and autism were matched based on adaptive behavior and IQ? In other words, if the researchers acknowledged that maybe IQ or cognitive ability was kind of like a distinguishing phenotype that defined maybe one type of autism, what else did copy number variations contribute? If this is the case and you controlled for intellectual disability, what did the genetics predict? This is going beyond just more mutations mean more severe behavior. If you controlled for things like IQ and yes, sex, what are the features of autism-related behaviors due to CNVs? 
As it turns out, those with genetic mutations showed more profound early motor delays marked by a longer latency to time to first walking. However, when they were matched with individuals without a mutation with the same IQ and the same sex, they also showed slightly superior social communication abilities compared to the other group. Let me take that back. Maybe not superior, but they were slightly less impaired. So as a group, the specific genetic mutations of copy number variations may not actually confer specific risk for autism-related impairment. Other factors include common variants and environmental factors, and of course, gene environmental interactions. There are different thresholds for the expression of behavioral features in autism spectrum disorder. Finally this week, another study, again at University of California, San Francisco, wanted to know how genetics might explain the levels of environmental toxicants in the blood of mothers who go on to have a child affected with autism. This is just one sort of the gene-environment interaction studies that are needed, and I have to wholeheartedly agree with her statement in the conclusion that she says, quote, Our evidence suggests that maternal and fetal genetic makeup are important determinants of mid-gestational circulating levels of environmental exposures. So another story about gene-environment interactions. Every single one is important, and this is a big one and a good one. So Dr. Traglia is a geneticist, and she partnered up with a study at Kaiser Permanente, also in the San Francisco area, called the Early Markers of Autism Study. When you've heard me whine about how great Scandinavian studies are because they have access to gestational blood samples, someone listened. The Kaiser Permanente Insurance Group in California has a whole research division that has access to all sorts of things, medical records, surveys of families, and also mid-gestational blood samples. Most women who are pregnant have a blood test mid-gestation to test for something called alpha-fetal protein. It's a marker of early birth defects. I had one. I live in New Jersey, and I bet they threw away the remaining blood after they did the test. In California, though, they keep the blood samples for research. That's amazing. So they got a hold of these samples, and they, they have access to medical records. They trace them to mothers who ended up having a child diagnosed with autism, and they looked at chemicals in the mom's body, and also, because they had blood, they looked at the mom's DNA. They weren't looking for a gene specifically, but the ones that did pop up were the genes that control for things like the breakdown or the metabolism of different types of toxic chemicals. Mostly, they're in a family called cytochrome P450s. These are enzymes that are known to break down or metabolize toxicants and help make cholesterol, steroids, and other lipids. This is a well-known fact, so lots of toxicology studies say so. So the study was remarkable because it studied the relationship in moms with a kid with autism, and it showed that genetic mutations in the mom may control the way that different chemicals associated with autism are broken down. The genes themselves, the cytochrome P450 genes, weren't independently associated with autism. The women who have these mutations aren't able to break down high levels of toxicants, especially organohalogens and PBDEs. I'll talk about these chemicals in a minute. One interpretation is that women who have these mutations end up having higher than normal levels of these environmental exposures of their blood, and that puts them at risk for autism. 
This study is also great because it looks at DNA of moms, not just DNA of kids. Well, they also did look at the DNA of kids. Most of the time you see studies looking at the DNA of the kids and the exposure of the moms without looking at the DNA of the moms. The genes were associated with autism, just the levels of PBDEs or polybrominated diphenyl ethers in mom's blood. Try saying that three times. These are flame retardants, and you may have heard about them. They have been associated with cognitive issues in kids, but not necessarily autism specifically. They're also endocrine disruptors. They screw up hormone levels at critical times in development. They're found in upholstery in cars, in beds, in crib mattresses, where, of course, you really want a good soaking of chemicals. Anyway, they also looked at fetal DNA through blood spots obtained at birth. This study really does have it all going on. In conclusion, the researchers say, future studies investigating associations between environmental exposures and metabolic disease or developmental outcomes should consider maternal and fetal genetic determinants of what are thought to be environmental biomarkers. We couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for listening. And next week, Mark Shen from University of North Carolina is going to discuss those interesting findings about extra CSF fluid in the brain who go on to have an autism diagnosis.